everyone. Welcome back to Thoughtful Intentions. I'm your host, Fiona Winch, and today's guest is Ricky Postal. Um, So Ricky has been a mentor of mine for the past couple of months, helping me realize a lot of my personal and professional aspirations, skills, interests, and values. Um, So of course I wanted to bring her on today to talk about her company, Higher Ground, and how it came to be. Whether you're making a change in your career at the moment, which I know a lot of people are doing, or you've done it in the past, or you anticipate doing it in the future, I think this episode sheds a lot of light on the reasons we struggle to do that gracefully and how we can optimize our mindsets for productivity. Uh, That last bit was a quote that I stole from Ricky, so credit to her. And in her practice, she does this by using a process that's a combination of acceptance and discipline based on proven psychological tools that produce sustainable results. Another quote I stole from her website, which is elevate to the number two higherground.com. Don't worry, I'll plug it at the end again. Um, Just a little background. Ricky actually started as an elementary school teacher And then she stayed home to raise her own children and then worked in the fitness industry, then found her way into cybersecurity before she came to be where she is today. So, elevate to higher ground. Uh, Thank you for being here with us today. And here's Ricky. It, I, I feel like it's very evident that people, especially in my generation, will be expected to pivot careers multiple times. Yes. Um, and I think that the work that you're doing is that much more valuable because you've been there yourself. Yes. Um, so I did want to ask what inspired you to, to, to create Higher Ground, found, I was going to say found. Yeah, found it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Um, well, like I said, so I was talking to all these people and I was seeing this place of people not being able to get to a sustainable place. Okay. It's like when they achieve one goal, they're just ready for the next goal. Okay. Ready for the next level. And I even saw this at a very high level working in the startup world. You'd see these, you know, companies, these founders, you know, who'd sell their company for, you know, millions and millions of dollars. And it was just like, go on to the next thing. Um, I want to do more. And it was just like, it was never enough. <clears throat> okay. And so people were more, what I was seeing were more trying to just keep moving up and getting better and better and better. And it's not always about moving up levels. It's about evolving. And that's, and I, and I've always been good at connecting with people. I enjoy, that's why I loved working the jobs I did at the startups. I got to talk to so many people. I connect with them. And again, it was like this challenge. How am I going to connect with this developer who just doesn't like to speak to people? And so if I was able to bring them out, it was like an accomplishment for me. And it was also good for them. So it was, you know, mutually beneficial. So I realized that that's really what I wanted to do. What started to happen was I would interview candidates and I'd have really good connections with these candidates. Okay. And then I would be like their go-to person through the interview process, or even if they started at the company, but sometimes even during the interview process, um, they would reach out to me because I would form this connection with them and they felt comfortable. And I would, they would ask me, you know, how to interview and give them tips. And so I would end up doing some like a little bit of interview prepping and, And then what started to happen was even candidates who didn't get the job would end up kind of keeping in touch with me. And I end up kind of doing this like career counseling or just, you know, not formal career counseling. Okay. But just this, you know, guiding them through, okay, well, what makes sense? And, um, you know, it even got to the point where there were several young people that I talked to just graduating college and they would, you know, I'd be interviewing them for the company and I would stop the interview and I'd say, you're so smart. You've so much potential. However, do you really understand what it's, what it's, this is stepping into this startup world. And I kind of, and I kind of was like shutting it down and saying like guiding them, like this is probably not a good place for you not because you're not capable, but because you just haven't existed on the planet long enough. You like to, to, to jump into this. It's, it's very fast. 
and it's very um, overwhelming and you're not going to get a lot of support because we all work remote and everyone's busy. So then I would end up like guiding these people. They would keep in touch with me. It's like that, that can be a little soul crushing if you're not in the place to hear yeah. information or like have the outside guidance about, yes. okay, well then what should I do? Right. It's unpleasant to tell people this is just not a good fit. And so I ended up guiding and helping, you know, many of these candidates who weren't getting jobs and just, just because. And then I started working with um, like a couple of my friends' husbands uh, who were trying to make job changes. And I just realized this is really what I want to do. This is really where I want to be. And so that's what really inspired me to do it and to kind of go out there. And I was terrified. It's terrifying to step out and, and do something on your own. And like, here I am, you know, I'm going to be 50 in January. And so I was in my late 40s. And to, to, to step out and start a new career was very scary. Yeah. And I, you know, doubted myself many times. So I desperately want to know how you got to this enlightened place, able to energize, inspire, and guide others to make a change in their lives. Sure, sure. First of all, thank you for um, acknowledging. So let's back up for a second. It's a funny story how I ended up even falling into this space, okay? I I reached out to a contact I had. She was a parent of one of the kids my my kids went to school with and she was starting a nonprofit. So I reached out to her and she's like, I'd love to talk to you. And I ended up interviewing with, I guess, you know, her, her super, not, not, not the supervisor of the office or, and, but when I was interviewing with her, she was interviewing me for a completely different position in a completely different company that this girl was involved in. And they hired me and I, I was, it was for recruiting. And it, time or did they? Well, in the middle of the interview, I was like, well, aren't we, isn't this for, Oh no. <laughs> it was really kind of funny, but the woman was like, well, you're so like, you're perfect for this job. And so I was like, okay. And then I ended up in tech and then ended up in cybersecurity and then ended up leaving the company um, and getting hired by a startup. Okay, so it was just kind of a weird sequence of events. So yes, I was intimidated. And I, and I had gone to this event. Um, it was for a cybersecurity incubator. And I, I didn't even know what I was walking into. Mm-hmm. And my first, you know, my thought was, well, what am I going to say to these people? Right? I always say to you, you know, network, 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 because you never know who you talk to. Right. What's going to come out of it. You know, especially in the audition world, there's this temptation to um, kind of conform to whatever role you're auditioning for. Mm-hmm. It's evident that the, the the more you stay kind of true to yourself, yeah, you know that the casting agents behind the table might consider you perfect for something that you don't even know exists. Right. You know, it's kind of like you don't know what you don't know. Um, and as so long as you're staying true to yourself and your values, which we also talk a little, yes, yes. Um, you know, someone else might think of something waiting for you that you don't know exists. Well, that's sort of how I ended up working for the startup company. You know, I didn't go in handing out a business card. I went in there to build relationships and to learn. And that's, I communicated that I'm here to learn about as much as I can about this industry so I could do my job better. Mm-hmm. And uh, I just, you know, connected with people and asked questions and that's how I networked. So I didn't call people and ask them for anything. I built relationships. Mm-hmm. And then, and again, like you said, it's showing your true authentic self. Instead of pretending I was something that I'm not or kind of being like um, manipulative mm-hmm. and pulling them in and then asking them for something, I, I kind of did the opposite. I just built the relationships and then let it go where it was going to go. It's so funny because networking, even like two, three months ago, was so scary to me. You know? Yes. Yeah, I just didn't know what to say or do. <laughs> but um, it's it seems like what I've learned and what you are proving that 
um, as long as you go forth with the desire to learn. Yes. And right. And it's, you know, it's the desire to learn and, and doing the research and, you know, doing the work behind the scenes, going in with some knowledge, but also being inquisitive. Mm-hmm. You're not expected to know everything. But if you go in and have that aptitude, show your aptitude for learning and that interest in learning, it's very attractive to people. Mm-hmm. And, if, and if that's really your true intention, it, it's, it comes off as authentic. People are attracted to that. And many times um, an employer will hire someone with less experience, but who has that real interest. You can call it drive, okay? But it's, I look at it more as interest you know, really being interested and really having that aptitude to learn, right? You must have, as a recruiter, seen that in candidates you were interviewing. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, that was, that was what I was always trying to find out from when I was interviewing them is by not asking them leading questions, asking them, you know, open-ended questions so they can kind of tell me their story because from their story and from, just you know, past experiences, um, their future aspirations, their interests. It gives you like a picture of the person. And so through that process of interviewing all these people, different kinds of people from all, I mean, I was interviewing people from all over the country because we, we both the startups that I worked at, we were hiring, we were remote, so we can hire people from all over the country. And, um, what I found was, and this is what was really interesting, which kind of led me to create higher ground, was people were, many people were not able to really express what they wanted to really do. It was all like, ask, like, if people were, understood how to interview them. You know, when you're, when you, when I'm interviewing someone and they just want to go down the checklist of what they've done, there's a lot more to a person than that. And, and again, what I was, I was getting at, what I noticed was that people just didn't, it's like, they almost didn't know who they were. They were like on this track of who they were supposed to be. And it became like a trick question when I would ask something like, well, if money was not a concern, you know, what? would you do like how would you spend your days and i'm like it's not a trick like it's not i'm not just tell me but it's not a trick question like i would actually say that i just want to hear about you and and first they'd be like really confused (laughs) and then which was which says something else but they they had a lot of the a lot of the people i interviewed had trouble figuring that out yeah. or even just, it just, they were, you could, I could tell they were stuck. Right. They were stuck. And then it was just this, also the other thing I noticed when I was interviewing people, especially the younger people was this kind of like, they're on this like constant treadmill and it's like, they always need to get to the next level and get to the next level and get to the next level. And you would hear that. I interviewed a lot of salespeople too. You hear that, you know, in there, you know, this intensity they have and this drive. And that's why when I say drive and interest, I look at those as two different things. You know, there's drive is good, but then it's like almost the overdrive. Or they're just like, you know, they're thinking about the next level and the money. Yes, and of course they want to make money and it's not a bad thing to want to earn more, but it's what's their mindset, Mm -hmm. right? And so we've talked about the fixed mindset, the growth mindset and the agile mindset. And many times people I found who are uh, very motivated, very um, goal oriented, okay, very uh, ambitious, many of them have that fixed mindset. It's more about the end result than the work that they're doing in between and appreciating the learning and appreciating that work. And it's all about the accomplishment. Right. And what happens when you're just focused on the accomplishment? It, it feels like a quick way to burn out. Right. You burn out and also very quickly, you know, you have that moment where you've accomplished something and it's great and you should revel in it and enjoy it and be proud of it. However, 
it's the mo it's a moment, mm -hmm. right? And you remember it, but what really needs to be what I think is be should be celebrated is the work that led up to it. So, right, and in a sense you are, but if you're always looking to the next level, do you have a chance to look back at the work you've done in between and appreciate the work that you've done? Right, well, not in, not in our society traditionally, although I feel like in this moment in time, people are kind of forced to slow down a bit. Yes, they are. They are. And for some people, that's working out very well. However, um, I fear that for many people, they, they're feeling, well, it depends on the situation, obviously, you know, but even when we slow down and people who aren't used to slowing down, it's, it's foreign. Right. And it's, it's, they're so used to looking for the next thing that it's because being able to step back and appreciate the hard work and get into more of that growth mindset is, is a skill. Yeah. Okay. So overall, what I, what I'm doing, my intentions with my company, higher ground and working with people is to help, you know, optimize their mindset and shift their mindset. Okay. That's kind of like the ultimate goal, um, the ultimate um, mission, but there's a lot of things that come before that. And then it was like, what do you, what do I call myself? I was going to say, what do you define it as? So at this point, I define it as, and it's so funny how everything comes kind of full circle, is because at first I was like, okay, a performance coach or, but I didn't like the word coach. But then, you know, and I don't really care about the title, but I needed to identify myself as something. We make decisions. Right. I make suggestions, you make decisions. <laughs> so I'm more teaching and mentoring, and there's a little bit of coaching in there, right? But I was really teaching, and I said, well, this makes a whole lot of sense because my background's in education, yeah. right? And it was funny how I never <laughs> see that connection at the beginning. So it's like mentoring and teaching, right? Wouldn't you say? Oh, yeah. I mean, one of my favorite parts about it um, that you kind of just used on, on yourself as an example is this work towards finding the through line in your interests and your skill sets and mm -hmm. um, values. And it, it seems so obvious once you reach that conclusion. You right. Know, it was discovering that I really like telling stories, which yes. is so simple, but it, I could not have come up with it by myself, you know? Um, and well, we have to get all that other clear, some of that other stuff that's blocking us out of the way and build up the skills to be able to do that, strengthen those skills, you know? So things like courage, um, courage is a skill. As a note here too, I said, practice courage. As you say, tell the story of who we are with our whole heart. Right. If not, everyone agrees. And I had never heard anyone say practice courage until, until you said it. So how did you even, did you, how did you find that? How did you come up with that? Well, you know, once I started really digging in and researching and, you know, reading other people's research and, you know, there's so much information out there. So I, I just started looking and seeing, you know, what other what therapists were doing, what, you know, um, what's, you know, people with, you know, PhDs in sociology were saying and just starting reading the, reading the research and seeing kind of what resonated with me. And I started to see that all these emotions that we have and all these, you know, words and things we talk about every day, like we use these words, but what do they really mean? Right. And I kind of got like, I wouldn't say stuck. I kind of just got like, this is, this is, this is like the core of, of, of what I want to do because we use all these words like courage, but courage is really a skill because you start to see that um, you're not born with it. You're not born with these things. And it's kind of obvious when you, when you, you kind of like sit down and, and like unpack it all and analyze it all. But you know, who does that? I mean, I do it now, but and you realize that you're not born with courage, okay? Just it, Courage is not hereditary. It's, it's not. I don't believe that it is. You have to build that courage. You have to practice it, okay? It's like learning how to play the guitar. 
you know, you can come from a very musical family and you can have that innate ability and like that talent. But if you don't practice it, you're only going to get to a certain point. Right. You have to practice. And um, then, you know, at first it really started with thinking about courage and fear, right? Because everything kind of funnels down to fear. So when people are stuck or when you're having these emotions, okay, it all usually funnels down to something that we're afraid of or we're worried about. So fear and worry started becoming my two favorite things to talk about and research. And, um, you know, it's always great to open up a conversation with, yeah, let's talk about worry and fear. (laughs) People are like, I don't want to. so by doing that research and, and by thinking about those concepts f- from a different perspective, or actually I like to say a different place in my perspective and just look at it differently, you really start to see that in order to deal with these emotions, feelings, you know, states of being is through practicing skills. Just like, and training your brain, your brain's a muscle, just like your body's a muscle, your, you know, your biceps a muscle. Right. No, it's, it's funny. Cause I have here, um, I was looking back at my notes from our first meeting and, um, I think we were talking about hopelessness naturally. Um, and you said, remember your, your talents and skills have not been taken away. Yes. Um, and how to use it in a way that avoids paralysis. Yes. Um, and I guess that day, my two feelings, my two recent feelings were discouraged and tired. Mm-hmm. And you said, these aren't dangerous. You just don't like them. Yes. <laughs> just, yes. So well, that's, that's the whole thing with, with emotions, right? We, we get these feelings and also, so we label like the good emotions and the bad emotions. Okay. And so now I'm going to look at it from like the perspective of the work I do. So just, just to mention, I do a ton of research in, in um, different types of psychology and therapies. I read the research, take classes. Um, So what I do is I'm not a therapist and I'm not, you know, um, doing clinical therapy practices, you know, I'm not practicing that. But my, what the work I do is all based on principles of different psychologies. Um, And usually mostly in the cognitive behavioral space or there's metacognitive therapy as well. Um, so these emotions that we have, right, good and bad, we, we label them. And the, the, the reality is that every emotion, okay, every feeling has a purpose. Okay, so there's good and bad in every emotion. So it's not labeling them good and bad. Okay, so that that's the first thing. Um, you know, the second thing is that we cannot control those emotions, right? So, so for instance, okay, Fiona, so when, when you're worrying, you're worrying and you tell your friends you're worrying, your parents you're worrying, what, what do people say? Uh, don't worry. <laughs> don't worry, okay, right? Don't worry. Oh, yeah. don't worry about that. Don't worry about it. And I laugh because, so <laughs> this is kind of where it all begins. We get these messages from people we love and who are serving us well and who mean well, and they're telling us, don't worry. However, that's an impossible thing to do because you cannot stop worry. You can manage the worry, but it's always going to come back. So, but for us, we, so we get into this place of we're worrying. We need to just stop. Mm -hmm. It's how we decide that we're going to manage that worry. Right. Okay. So we can't stop worrying and worrying is going to continue to come back in our lives. Okay. So if we look at that worry now, we look at that emotion, that feeling, that worry, and we look at it. Okay. Well, we look at the trigger. So, so what's making us worry. Okay. Maybe we're really worried about, you know, a test we have coming up or, you know, we, you know, had a disagreement with a friend and we're going to, you know, see them in a social situation. Okay. So we haven't, you know, we're worrying about something, you know, really major, like, you know, results of um, a medical test, you know, mm-hmm. <clears throat> that determines like our next steps. So we understand the trigger. Okay. And so that's the first part. Yeah. And then it's like, okay, so we understand the trigger. So we get it. Um, 
but then what's next, right? Once we understand it. So it's like, okay, some of we, a lot of times we come up with kind of scenarios of how we're going to like, all right, well, I know I'm worried about this, but I'm just going to distract myself, right? We go straight to distraction, mm-hmm. right? Or thinking about something else. But does that work, the distraction? For like a second. Right. It works in the short term, right? But then we come back because what we, we haven't really managed the worry. We just kind of figured out what it was, what it's making us worry. You know, maybe we even, you know, buckle down a little bit and get to, okay, well, we're worried about, you know, seeing this friend. Um, we had this disagreement, but then there was like other things that happened in the past. Like we can really bring it all the way back. Okay. But again, the idea is to move forward. Yeah. Right. So the way that I look at worry and other emotions with my clients is to look at it from a functional level. Okay. What is the function of this worry? What is the worry telling us to do? And what is the choice that we, that, that we want to make? Just because the worry is telling us to behave in a certain way or react a certain way, right, does not mean we have to agree with that, mm-hmm. right? So that's where we do have control. Yeah. We have control over our behavior and our reactions, okay? But before we can even get there, it's understanding the function of these emotions and what they're telling us to do. Right. And I, only because I know this, um, once I kind of viewed fear and worry as warning signals, Mm -hmm. was way more practical to handle. And Mm -hmm. I mean, it takes like a lot of rewiring, but yeah, it makes much more sense when, when viewed as like warning signals. Right. So basically, right, worry is a warning signal Mm -hmm. from the brain that something's not right, Right. okay? And so every thought that the brain has, every message it sends to us, they're not all true. They're not all factual. And so we get to make that distinction, right? So it's kind of seeing your brain is like kind of separate from you sort of. Um, (laughs) But we, that's where we have the control though, how we're going to react. But understanding what's actually happening and understanding the function is really helpful, right? And the same with fear. You know, what I find when I talk to people, when it all funnels down to fear, they're, they're afraid of something, okay? Many times people don't know, they think they're afraid of one thing, but they're actually afraid of something else. So I help them break down their fear. Right. So, you know someone thinks they're afraid of, you know, being alone. Mm-hmm. Okay. But in reality, they're afraid of putting themselves out there to meet other people mm-hmm. and to form connections. Right. Okay. And so they're trying to solve this problem and they're, put, they're, they're actually putting their energy and time into the problem that's not even really the problem. Yeah. Okay, so we have to figure out what the real, you know, break down what the real fear is. Mm -hmm. And it's so interesting when I talk to people and we start off and they, they're like, oh my God, because we break it down and they're like, I never even realized that's what really was, this is the root of the fear. Right. And many times it's like, they're just amazed. And then at that point, okay, when like you find out, well, I'm really afraid to put myself out there. Okay, so now we can work on how to manage that. Mm-hmm. So what I, what I don't do is I don't go spend too much time going backwards, right? Do you agree? I, that I agree. And, and I have recognized that and actually said that before. It, it feels there's such this therapeutic aspect to it that's um, a about going forward <clears throat> yes and forward motion um that i love and practicality yeah well yes and i'm going to get to the practicality in a second um but that's the thing Th- you know therapy 
is more pathological. And look, I, I'm not a therapist and I'm, therapy is, is amazing. <clears throat> and <clears throat> many times my clients are actually people who are in therapy and they work with me because I'm serving a different purpose. I actually have therapists that recommend their patients to come see me. So I, I like to see myself as, you know, working in conjunction mm-hmm. with therapists, you know, in that, with that field. Um, and so it's not a replacement for therapy. However, we don't dig too deep into, okay, what's causing this. We have the history and we look at it, mm-hmm. but the idea is to not let that history you know, keep impacting us. And that's a big blocker for people. So, you know, I know you've heard me say this before, but I encourage people not to back up into their future. Okay. And by that, I mean, you know, making the same decisions, making a decision in the present based on decisions and choices you've made in the past. Okay. Mm -hmm. And then expecting to have a different outcome. I mean, that's kind of the definition of insanity. Um, But we somehow convince ourselves it's going to be different. What's usually happening is some form of not really wanting to face or be uncomfortable Mm -hmm. with something, whatever is blocking us. We we would rather just kind of do the same thing over and over again and hope for a different outcome. So I'm encouraging people not to, my clients, not to back up into into that place again but to make a different decision and do things differently and move forward and and one of the little tools i use and uh this is something i usually introduce at very beginning of working with someone is just a simple thing called a permission slip right we've talked about permission slips when you actually give yourself permission to do something differently and you give yourself permission to actually be vulnerable and feel these emotions that are happening Mm -hmm. okay and, and because the idea is that we don't want to dismiss our emotions. However, we don't want to let our emotions drive the car, right? So control your life, but not your mind. You're hitting all of my favorite <laughs> sayings, of course. Um, and, and again, yeah. And so I try what my goal is to give really practical advice, okay? Practical strategies. And advice. I, I shouldn't have said advice because I. It's more practical strategies. It's teaching again because I. I like I always say. I make suggestions. You make decisions. Mm-hmm. So it's a very. It's a place of non-judgment. Yeah. I think you could agree with that, right? Mm-hmm. Um. So it's it's it's. It's not about doing what's right and what's wrong. That's not what this is about. It's about figuring out. You know well, your values and staying true to those values and you making the decision, the client making the decision and seeing what's going to help them, you know, what's, what's going to work to help them move forward Mm -hmm. and doing, giving the practical strategies. It's, it's really to me just giving people the how. So I, the how is, is something that's always bothered me so much that um, even, you know, a few months ago, or I mean, even backing up to, to when I first moved to New York and was trying to figure out how to audition, you know, I was asking everyone I knew, like, how do you do this? Um, and it, it's just so funny that that people don't focus focus on that a lot, you know, you no. what you should do, but not how to do but it. But now do it. Yeah. And so that's the thing. So you, you know, there's all these, you know, great self-help books out there. There's, you know, workshops and um, speakers and you come away from these motivational speakers or a workshop and you're all like excited. Right. And then the next day, you know, look at all your notes and it's like, okay, this is great, but how do I execute this? Where do, so, you- where do you start? And so that's, that's my, that's my, that's part of my mission. Whenever I give a strategy to a client or we talk, I talk through a perspective of looking at things from a different perspective or teaching about how the emotion, you know, teaching something. Okay. Or, you know, talking about practicing a skill 
and working to practice it with them. It's, it's all about how, you know, that's the, that's the context of where I am, I am presenting these different strategies and ideas is from how, um, you know, and, and a big one, you know, is, is motivation, how to get motivated. Okay. And so this is the funny thing again. So this is the kind of thing where we're, where we're confused about what these words and concepts really are. Okay. So, so motivation is like, it's like if you're looking to buy a house or a car, right? There's things that you want and then there are things that are nice to have. Mm. Motivation is a nice to have, okay? Mm. We do not need to have motivation to get our work done, okay? Um, it's great if we can find it and some days we do and some days we don't. Yeah. But the reality is, you know, we have a purpose. And so we're, we want to be driven by our purpose. And one of the therapies that I'm studying is Japanese therapy, uh, psychology called Morita therapy. And the premise of that is it's um, not to, to base um, our day and our activities on how we feel, but it's what our purpose is. Mm-hmm. So even if we're feeling bad or we're worried, it's staying focused on our purpose. Okay. But, but we're stuck. So how do right? So, so then I give this the strategies of how to deal with worry and emotions, but it's being purpose driven and the motivation is, is there and it's great if it's there, but if it's not, that doesn't mean that our purpose is still not imminent. Right. And it's, I mean, at least for me, um, you know, in like March, April, I, I think uh, I'm not alone in struggling with even that purpose. Um, Cause that, if you don't, you know, if, if you, if you don't know about, you're not right. about that, then everything right. is hard. Right. Um, but once I had that sorted out, everything was so much easier, even if I didn't have motivation, um, that, that was a driver. So. Yeah. Well, when we first started, one of the things I usually, well, I usually do is remember we talk, we, we start talking about our stories Yes. and writing these stories about ourselves and, you know, through the stories and through looking at our values and our skills and our, um, our strengths, right? And our weaknesses, we start to figure out who we really are because mm-hmm. we know ourselves. However, we're always evolving and changing. And so, you know, take where you're, you're at in your life, for example, um, you're at a really, you know, pivotal transitional period. Mm-hmm. And so who you are is really, it's changed from who you were like two, three years ago in a, in a lot of ways. So it's examining that. And then once we start examining that, it kind of just kind of, we set out on that path and we see where it goes and what, you know, what skills um, we need to practice. Right. And it just becomes clearer as we move forward. Right. It's, it's with just kind of giving an overhead view, you know, of it, a high level view. That's, what we that's what we're doing together yeah it's figuring figuring that out yeah and it's funny how um i i know myself it's funny how i i don't even think i had written down a lot of skills before you know i i had only really written them down in terms of like the theater world right um, so i didn't even know you know i'm on linkedin it's like put your skills yeah i, I don't know and what are my skills um and that can just be intimidating enough to kind of shut it all down. Yeah. And that's, I think, a place that I started from was just like this crippling feeling of, of just not knowing where to begin. Yeah. Um, that can just really put a pause on the whole. Because once you, you then you, you just don't believe in yourself. Yeah. And then it's like, how do I, right, how do I even begin? Yeah. So and we worked with that, you know, we, by working together, we were like figured out all these skills that you have that you didn't even realize you have. It's interesting because when I first started uh, Higher Ground, I was gearing it more towards personal branding, which was, 
you know, not in terms of, you know, marketing and social media, but in terms of the personal brand of you, mm-hmm. like who you are. And, um, and I'm still doing that piece of it, but it's so much more than that. But it's that figuring out who you are and what your strengths are. And, um, and then, you know, as it, as it pertains to values, okay, it's like, what are your values? And, you know, at the beginning, you talk about the process, we talk about what your values are. And then, we, we kind of keep going back and revisit it. But then there comes the point where it's not just about what your values are, but it's about clearly stating your values and stating them not just in terms, not in terms of what you want or what, how you want other people to act, right, or what you want to achieve because that's your goals. It's in terms of how you want to conduct yourself, right? right? So if you value honesty, right, and you say value honesty – uh, what I hear is, you know, I'm honest and I want to interact with other people who are honest. And, you know, it's kind of like I deserve that back mm-hmm. in a sense. Okay. This is where we get, you know, <laughs> tripped up is because can we control other people? No. Can we control other people being honest to us, even if we're honest with them? No. Right. So, when we start looking at our values in just terms of our behavior, so in terms of honesty, uh, to clearly state that in a value for ourselves is I aim to be transparent in my relationships with other people and in my relationship with myself. Right. And look how different that is. Because now it's actually connected to your behavior and something you can control and no i mean it's it's without the purpose to attract that from others but it kind of does right right but again you we get into all these things and we set all these we have these expectations that we want to meet and a lot of those expectations we set we have no control over them because we're looking at things to happen for us or how other people should treat, you know, we want other people to treat us. Okay. And we have, you know, we don't really have control over that. We have control over ourselves. And then we have the control to make the decision. Well, you know, I'm, you know, being really honest with this person and very transparent and I let them know that I expect that in return. Um, But they're just not doing that. So now I have the choice of, you know, I don't have to stay in this relationship or I can set boundaries. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's where we have the choice, right? We, we get to this point where well, someone's not being honest, so we will want to change them. Yeah. Instead, we have to look, you know, it's like looking to yourself and saying, okay, um, I can only control my behavior. Or the other thing we sometimes do is, you know, we want to be connected with this person so badly and we know they're not being honest and we're, we're really not convinced that they're ever going to be honest, right? But we, we kind of use the confirmation bias, right? And we, we stay in the relationship and then we lose sight of our values. And that's when all of a sudden... You know, everything seems okay. We're in the relationship. We're having fun. The friendship, relationship, whatever it is, you know, we're doing well in other areas of our life, but something doesn't feel quite, quite right inside of us. Right. And it's, it's a sign that you're not living within your values, but we have to establish those values. And then once you establish them, it's clearly stating them. And so it's like that second, that other part. Yeah. Okay let's just divide it up into three parts, part one, part two, part three. Okay. So part one is when we identify what's really happening. Okay. What's the real problem? What's the real fear? What's the, you know, what, 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 what are the functions of all these emotions that we're feeling? Okay. So that's the problem piece. We kind of dissect it. It's kind of cool and interesting, right? Then there's part two. That's when we have to dive in and we have to do the practice and it's about living within those values, which can be uncomfortable, Mm -hmm. right? So part two is kind of the uncomfortable part. It's kind of the strenuous part. It's the practice. It's 
frustration. It's we, we just want things to change. We see things changing, but then we go back. So that's part two. And part three is kind of when you come out and you, you get it and you have your practices down and you, you kind of see how you can keep on moving forward and you understand that things are going to continue to get in your way and you're going to continue to get, you know, might get stuck. However, you maybe don't fall as hard. Yeah. Or you, you figure, you see that even if you're in a place where, uh, of extreme, you know, sadness or anger, okay, or things aren't going right, you could still find joy and move forward. People want to skip part two because it's hard. Yeah. Because they get there and they're like, God, shoot, this is hard. I bring it back to golf. So I just started playing golf and it's a hard game. However, it's a really, really parallels life in a lot of ways, okay? And just the experience of getting stuck. And for me, it's testing all these points of my patience, of my emotions, of my ego, of my vulnerability. And it's something brand new mm -hmm. for me. And, uh, you know, it's really fun. I started, I take lessons and, you know, you see improvement. Okay. And you see it at the beginning pretty quickly, you know, right. And then it gets really freaking frustrating because it, you just, you get better, but you don't get better then you're getting worse, but it's just, it's really hard. Right. It is a really hard game. It's hard to, it's hard to be consistent. And, um, you know, so now I'm in part two kind of, and it's like, do I want to commit to this or not? Because if I commit to this, okay, it's not that like I have to, you know, go to the PGA, but it's like, if I'm going to commit to it, I'm doing it so I can continue to play and enjoy it. Right. And it's more enjoyable as you get a little, you know, even just a little bit better. So it's, it's, it really challenges all of those skills. Right. You know, it's courage. It's, um, it's actually, you know, when I first started, I said to my, I said to my, um, the pro who I'm taking lessons with, I said, so, you know, I decided I have the courage to suck at something. <laughs> and that takes courage. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds so silly, but it does. So it's that part two in the middle. We all want to skip and people want to skip. It takes so much longer than, you know, you kind of anticipate that all of those feelings happen at some point. Yeah. It's that hard work in the middle. Mm -hmm. However, you know, what I'm hoping to provide is a safe space to do it in and, and guidance and knowing that there's no judgment. Yeah. So there's a connection um, and you know you're not being judged and you can be vulnerable and honest um, and face those things that we don't like to face about ourselves, right? Because it's, we judge, we're, and we're our own worst critic. But if you can put it out there in a safe space and then also see that there's nothing wrong with you, right. okay? You're not broken. Mm -hmm. um, you're not weird. You're, you know, your brain isn't just, you know, people are always like, my brain is just, it never stops. It's crazy. Like my brain, it's different than everyone else's brain. It's not. Everyone's brain works a lot, okay? It's, it's hard to stop our brains. We can't. But when you realize that it's just, just because you're struggling, okay, just because you're stuck doesn't mean you're a failure, okay, doesn't mean you have no hope, and it, it doesn't mean that there's something wrong with you. Yeah. Um, you know, overall, mental, being men mentally in a good place and being mentally well is not based on, you know, depression or anxiety, or self-awareness, okay? So these are all important factors, right? But mental wellness is based on your skill level to handle the things that are put in front of you. You're able to handle the stuff that comes your way because it's gonna come your way. And like we said before, just because sometimes, just because it feels bad, it doesn't mean it's bad or dangerous. And sometimes things are really bad. But when we have the skills, 
especially for the little bumps that come along the way that we turn into mountains, it allows us to actually enjoy our life because we have more energy and time to give to the other parts of our life, to the parts of our life of things that we like to do, time with our family, whatever it is for each individual, instead of all that time and energy focused on these feelings that we have labeled bad. Right. It's, it's funny because I, I was going to ask if you had any like final suggestions for someone struggling during this time, but I feel like you just yeah on the head with that. Yeah. It takes about 10,000 hours to master a skill. Right. Okay. Think about that. How many hours do you practice, you know, courage? Do you practice, you know, managing patience? Right. Or patience, right? Um, attention. Yeah. You know, we, we focus our attention on, you know, we don't, we don't practice those skills. Right. Okay. And we weren't, we weren't taught to. So that's, you know, that's what I'm going to leave you with is leave everyone with is, is the skills. If it takes 10,000, 10,000 hours to master a skill. Okay. And we don't practice these skills to get us through life so we can enjoy life. Yeah. Right. I'm not, here to transform anyone you don't need to be transformed uh i'm not guaranteeing oh you know after working with me everything's going to be great and the universe is all going to open up to you i don't i don't i'm very realistic i have a very realistic approach At the beginning you see little changes but it's it's a process yeah. and without the practice it doesn't happen so i hope uh no. I gave everyone a good little bit of information about. It was perfect. I loved it. <laughs> Thank so you. Where can people find you if they are interested in your work and, and um, working with you? It's elevate to the number two higherground.com. So basically, if people are interested, go on the website. My website, I made it myself. So it's like, it's very straightforward to the point, but it's not anything like, you know, this major marketing thing, it gives you an idea about what I do in addition to what I've talked about today. Uh, but reach out to me, you know, send me a text, shoot me an email and set up a complimentary session. And then, you know, you could ask questions um, and we could, I could start to get a feel for you and where you are and if we'd be a good fit. And kind of start even giving you some, you know, how some of the things I'm, I'm saying now uh, apply to an individual's, you know, place where they are right now, but reach out, you know, it's, 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 I find people are afraid to, to make that call yeah. or to send that message. Um, but if you call and we have a conversation and you're not interested, that's okay. I'm not going to chase you. This is, this is a thing that where if you're not interested, if you're not in it, it's, I'm not, there's no point in me trying to convince you. Right, of course. It's just not, you know, but maybe you're not interested now after, maybe you'll be interested later on. So it doesn't hurt to just make the call and see. Yeah. Well, yeah. thank you so much for, for being so generous with your time and your wisdom. I really appreciate it. And I am sure everyone else hearing this is too. So my, my pleasure. This has been Fiona Winch with Ricky Postal. Thank you so much for listening and stay tuned for more from Thoughtful Intentions.